it's a gift watching the master work. <laughs> Can you? I feel like the it sounded like I was a little blown out last time, but I'm not totally sure what all these knobs mm-hmm. like. Obviously, that's turning it down, right? Right in your headphones, and that's making it louder. But yep. it I, it doesn't look like it's like making it louder on the. You're not seeing it register on the actual right. It dials. shows up as the same on the mm-hmm. dials. It just makes it louder or quieter in my headphones. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how do I make that quieter in the actual recording do i just have to move the microphone further away from my face maybe yeah maybe we're like too close up on these things because these are nice apparently yeah i just don't know how it it was also like 100 degrees in the house last time i felt like that affected us yeah maybe oh here's a thing is it blinking and saying don't touch me if i turn it down so i'm gonna test i'm testing i'm testing i'm testing i'm gonna turn it down a little bit i think that'll work but see that makes it sound quieter in my headphones yeah yeah i'm not sure how it works it's hard when i have no idea what you're looking at but um, it doesn't help it sounds like what you're doing is the right thing so keep doing it yeah i'm gonna do that to yours too okay I mean, we're going to want to have the levels totally right for what I'm about to launch <laughs> Right, exactly. I All want right. this to be perfect. Yeah, okay. I think we're ready. I think we're good to go. So I have a another like lifestyle question for you. Okay. Um, I know that at your office, you have like a really nice kitchen. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's a break room. At my work, we have a bathroom. Yeah. That has cockroaches in the urinals uh-huh. regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll bring my coffee to work a lot of times in my own cup. Yeah. And I also have like a mug there as well. And so... Later, like after I drink my coffee, I normally want to like rinse it out and fill it with water. Okay. So I'll take it into the bathroom, put it on the sink, use the restroom, come back and then like wash it. Uh Uh-huh. And then go fill it with water from the water fountain. Okay. That's fine. Where it gets complicated for me. And part of it, I think, is as I get older... I'm getting more and more like not germophobic, but aware of germs. Uh huh. And so bringing the, it's, I'm guessing it's like a bottle, right? It's a Yeti. Okay. Cup. So bringing that into the bathroom presents no issues for you. Well, here's the thing. The Only f- because you wash it afterwards. In, in option A, the mm. scenario I just gave you, scenario A, mm-hmm. not option, scenario A. It doesn't present as big of a problem because I'm washing it afterwards. Soap, water, cleaning it out, and then leaving the bathroom. Later on in the day, when I am going back for a refill on water, I am then going to the water fountain. Right. But then, I have to use the restroom. I'm not going to go back and drop off my water and then walk back out. Mm -hmm. So then... 
I'll have to take my Yeti into the bathroom Mm -hmm. and like put it on the sink closest to the door or whatever, go use the urinal, you know, wash my hands and leave. Yeah. That is starting to get a little troubling for me. You know, just the exposure in there Uh doesn't make me feel great. Okay. But number one, I don't have any other option, right? Well, you could just walk back to your office and drop it off. I'm not doing a double trip just okay. for water. I have done like before. Um, the bathroom is gross. Sure. So I have done something where there's like somebody in there already like using a stall. And then I like got paper towels and like wrapped it around the top of it, of my cup. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of keep away the airborne stuff. Kind okay. Of. So then I I was at AMC watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and I got popcorn and a drink. Okay. And uh, it, it, it got to the trailers, and I was kind of like almost done with my drink, and the popcorn was like halfway gone, so I was like, I'm going to go get a refill. On this, I'm gonna like top it up before mm-hmm. the movie. So I go and I like rebutter the, the the popcorn and refill my drink. And then I remember this is like a three hour movie. Mm-hmm. And I decide, hey, I'm just gonna, you know, go to the bathroom again. Mm-hmm. But now I have a big tub of like open popcorn. Right. You have to walk back to the theater. And a drink. Yeah. And the trailers had started. That's too gross for me. And so I knew the timing was uh-huh. maybe going to be an issue. Like if I walked back, then walked all the way back and then back. And mm-hmm. I don't miss the beginning of movies, uh-huh. right? Already, even though I knew that I was I was still okay, wrong. Wrong. in my head, I You're thought wrong. like, what am You're I going to do when I walk in and the film has just started? Am I really going to... Because I was there with a guy that I've never hung out with before, and right. I really just come back. Hey, man, sorry, I can't watch this now. I gotta, I gotta go get a refund. I'll meet up with you in six months, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I knew I'd be okay. So anyway, I decide no, I'm not going to make two trips here. I also am not going to bring the popcorn and the drink into the bathroom with me. So. Luckily, they had a little like cafe area mm-hmm. right by the bathroom. So I put it on like a table and then went and used the bathroom, then came out and then got it. Initially, I was thinking like, I don't also like leaving my stuff unattended. Yeah. You could get roofied. <laughs> I could get roofied. Yeah. Like, I, I want the person who just saw an open drink was like, I'm going to take the gamble. Then I walk out of the bathroom and yeah. he's like, oh man, dang it. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't go that far. And so I was kind of wanting to, I guess I already found out where your limits are. Yeah. But the second you, would you have a problem going in to a bathroom and putting like your, you know, Yeti cup of water down no, and then using the bathroom and then leaving with it? Yeah, absolutely. No, no issues whatsoever. I used to do all the time with the city. I didn't even, I don't even wash my stuff afterwards. I'm at the point in my life where I am more than aware of germs and I am embracing it. 
I want them to strengthen my immunity system mm-hmm. to become stronger. So you would have just taken your popcorn and drink into no, the No, see now, bathroom. no, now that is gross. I would not do that. <laughs> That's a crossing line. I wouldn't even leave it on a table. That's gross because I would just walk back to the theater. I may miss 30 seconds from the movie. So what? I'm see, not, I can't do I'm that. not chancing it. There's no way. That's gross. What I did was gross, leaving on the table yes. or outside the bathroom. No, yes. it's not. Yes, it That's is. not bad. Yes, it is. That's bad. You have no idea what happened to your food and drink in that however long you're in the bathroom. Uh, 30 seconds less. Okay. I just, uh, that's not something I would do. Sound, I, I don't see the upside of that. You sound paranoid. I don't see the upside of that. I see the upside of occasionally taking my bottle into the bathroom getting some bathroom germs on it drinking from it getting a boost to my immunity system your conservative streak comes out <laughs> do you know I what people are doing the, to your popcorn i don't see yeah i don't see the benefit to just leaving it on the table uh, i well i mean in the same way i don't know that i see someone the benefit. could take it you know yeah i don't know that i see the benefits of going back and putting it on my seat and then going back out i'm leaving it unattended in the same way, next no, to... No, you're leaving it with somebody that you know, at least. I'm leaving it next to an elderly couple that will fall asleep during this movie at least twice. No, I think nah, that's just... Uh, that's too much. Too far. Well, I'm healthy. I made it through. For now, when did you see the movie? I've passed the... Uh, I'm, oh. I'm out of quarantine. Okay. For any conceivable disease, I've passed the test. Okay. I'm good. All right. So do we want to go right into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Sure, if you can remember it. Yeah, I can remember it. I can remember uh, how problematic it is. Oh, here we go. <laughs> here, how problematic is it? <laughs> it's uh, it was problematic enough for me to be like, I know this is problematic on some level, but I'm not really like smart enough or like woke enough to like really understand why it's problematic. Um, how he views and treats women, uh, the entirety of like. I mean, like, I, I don't even know what you would call it, but, like, the um, the sort of ramp up in violence at the end against a bunch of people who, like, he goes out of his way to establish are, like, underage, <laughs> like, like, kind of, like, not up to uh, notorious means. You know what I mean? Um, I mean nefarious. Nefarious. Um yeah, I mean stuff like that. Like, I wasn't th- thrilled to be watching Brad Pitt beat up and what's supposed to be an underage girl who was not established as bad in any way whatsoever throughout the movie, or Leonardo DiCaprio take a flamethrower to another underage girl. I'm just saying, like, you're rolling your eyes, but like, it's there. You don't want to accept it, like. I can I the can, movie itself relies so wholly on you just knowing who these people are and why they're bad, and it does nothing whatsoever in establishing like why they're bad people or like what's going on. Not definitely not in the way that Inglorious Bastards does, which you could argue doesn't need to be done for the Nazis. You know what I mean? I wish I had a soundboard. This whole podcast. <laughs> 
is out of order. All right. Let's hear it then. I Well, here's the thing. I, I don't begrudge Explain you. to me why I should be rooting for Brad Pitt to be beating up an underage girl. No, that, that's the thing. I don't feel the need to convince you on any of this stuff. Okay. If that's your view, that's your view. But those conversations are not interesting to me. Okay. In in terms of this film. My, I mean, if, if that's your take, then that's your take. And there, there are enough people out there that share the same take. I, I don't. I don't at all. Um, and part of that is, again, just a subjective roundabout. Like, it's the Manson family. Sure. You know? And and part of it is, like, if you're making a historical, you know, fiction, mm-hmm. how much is it on you to explain the historicity of it and how much it is it on the audience to come in knowing or how much of it is purposely playing on your knowledge of certain events sure even if they're hazy and so the level of understanding to which you need to go into to me is like a completely like boring subjective or i, I didn't know anything about manson and so i didn't understand why anyone would be angry with these people it's like okay and somebody else who says like i know manson's in and out they tried to start a race war. They stabbed and killed a pregnant woman. Like they are deserving of like the same thing to be done back to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because you know, they know everything, right. All the ins and outs. So I'm like, yeah, okay. If you want to say like my ignorance of them affected my viewing of the film, then okay. But I don't know that it's on Quentin Tarantino to have to, contextualize the Manson family, especially when I think what he's trying to do is create more of like a mood piece. He's not trying to create a one-to-one, you know, uh, uh, recreation of that era and that event. He's trying to evoke what though what what that time made him feel mm-hmm. and also i think trying to use cinema as a way of showing its power in rewriting historical um events like when he killed hitler like when he addresses you know slavery and the ku klux klan as you know again a bunch of bumbling idiots uh, which is, you know, not necessarily historically accurate. Uh, and somebody looking at just Django Unchained, I think, could walk away and be like, oh, the Ku Klux Klan, they were kind of funny. They're just, they're a bunch of goofballs. It's like, well, historically, they. I don't think you could come away with that message, though. There's like a, there's like one scene, but then like the other white supremacists in that movie are like vile, evil people. Right. The The other ones, though. I, and, and like the slave owners, right? right? But there, but there's no, but there's also no counterpoint to that. Like, there's no bad guy in this movie until the end, where you just get three random people who earlier in the movie were established to be like not up to no good. They were kind of like maybe they're like grifters, but they're not like particularly like evil people. And I mean, to to the point, like I'm I'm not interested in. Quentin Tarantino's fascination with Hollywood and like, like that stuff doesn't interest me. So that's how I approach the movie. 
but but I don't understand how, you know, you take somebody who's evil and reference them as like, hey, this person in my movie is this evil person. You know, these Manson people, the ones who committed this heinous crime, these are them. Then what more context do you need? Like, you know what I mean? Well, I like, mean, there's plenty of context in Inglorious Bastards. There's plenty of context in Django. Yeah, but, but I think those are, of course, like different movies. Sure. He's, he's doing different things with them. So yeah. in this movie, which is, again, not about recreating the Manson murders, the Manson family, or even necessarily about specific people in the Manson group, it, again, is more of like looking at the death of an era and then rewriting it to say, like, what if the era never died? You know, what What if this kind of old vision of Hollywood that I've romanticized in my head, you know, what if that was the prevailing force that pushed through the 60s, you know, through uh, new Hollywood and, mm-hmm. and all of that? And, you know, yeah. But does it... It, but it doesn't address that question. It just asks the question. It doesn't even address it. Well, I think. I mean, the movie ends with that question. Yeah. Well, I think I walked. I walked out of it, and the first thing I thought was, I got to see all of Quentin Tarantino's fetishes. Like this is his fetish movie. Well, there's not enough N word. There's not <laughs> any actually. I don't think. Yeah. So. Uh, but not all of them. Yeah, but but you have. You know, the um, physical ones, you have feet everywhere. Sure. Um, He famously has been tagged as a foot fetishist, right? Mm -hmm. But you also have him recreating these, like, spaghetti westerns and early television um, that everyone would gather around and watch, right? Like, look at all the spread of characters and what they're doing. They're all watching FBI, whether you're the Hollywood elite or the Manson family living, you know, on spawn ranch, you're all watching the same TV, right? Mm -hmm. This, um, you know, this kind of communal experience of, you know, be movie, be television type of stuff. And what Tarantino gets to do, I think, in some of the recreations is shoot some of those scenes and some of those images in a way that he would approach it. So, like, giving it, like, cinematic flair that maybe those shows never had. And you see that in the in Lancer, where um, Leo Leonardo DiCaprio is, like, guesting. And Lancer was a real show that lasted for like two seasons. So it wasn't like a beloved, you know, kind of uh, property mm-hmm. even back then. But you have this like amazing one take where Leo walks in or uh, I guess it's Lancer, Timothy Oliphant walks into Leo's bar and it's like a, a, one shot from up above that doesn't cut and you don't see like the crew of the television series standing around. And then it goes to like Timothy Oliphant and Leonardo DiCaprio kind of squaring off at this table. And you have this like move this pan around Timothy Oliphant that then like catches Leo. And that's when Leo 
flubs his line and tries to like walk off set for a second and, and gets flustered and then pulls it together. But like those camera moves were not being done in the sixties. Sure. And they weren't being done on like Lancer. Like, I don't imagine that the director of a episode of Lancer was like, how can we push the visual medium forward in how we're shooting the scene? And DeCap and uh, Quentin Tarantino gets to do that in this, which is like, again, probably a fetish of his to like go back and recreate and reshoot some of those shows and images he had, uh, you know, imprinted on him as a child. Um, and then you also have, again, like you can interpret it however you want, uh, but I interpret it as like a really moving kind of, you know, love letter to not just Sharon Tate, right? But like using her to look at, hey, what if things were different and what can we do in cinema? Like we can rewrite people, we can change storylines, we can alter history. And in the end, you have that kind of meetup where you have like, what if Sharon Tate was alive? What if everybody there was alive? What if... Leonardo DiCaprio got reintroduced to somebody who's like stars on the rise in Hollywood. What if he got a second wind, you know, what, what would it be like? And it does end on that because it is an open question. Um, and then again, it's a, it's a fairy tale. It, it pulls out and it's once upon a time, right. In Hollywood. So it's a total fairy tale. And I, I just don't know that you need to, Again, like Inglorious and Django are doing completely different things. Here, again, the Mansons are used in the narrative. They aren't the narrative. Right, but that's my that's my point. That's that's my problem. Is I think if you take Inglorious Bastards and Django and you remove them from any sort of factual timeline, or you play them two thousand years in the future when no one has any concept of what our history was, they hold together as a movie. Whereas this, if you remove the real life events that we are familiar with, this movie like doesn't make any sense. You've got, you've got two hours of like an amazing buddy film, right? Like some of the, like the, the funniest stuff that Tarantino's ever done, right? It's just really great. And then you've got 30 minutes of like, you know what I mean? This just like total twist does just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't line up with the rest of the movie. Like it makes sense when you know who the Manson family is mm -hmm. and like what happened, then yeah, sure. It makes sense. But when you watch just the rest of the movie, it doesn't make any sense, which I mean, you know, look what I'm, what I'm saying obviously doesn't really apply because this stuff did happen and we know that it happens. But I'm just saying, what I'm saying is I liked watching the movie a lot. Mm -hmm. I loved the first two hours of it. Mm -hmm. I liked the sort of maniacal, crazy energy of the end. Mm -hmm. But there was something about it that made me feel kind of gross afterwards. Maybe it was the real life stuff. Maybe it was how that was handled. There's just something about it afterwards that made me uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and again, I think that's fair. Um, but I th see, I think that the whole film is kind of about a lost era 
like I don't know that he's creating something that could be looked back on in 2000 years and understood. In a lot of ways, <clears throat> this film looks back on a time that isn't understood today. I could not tell you going into that if Lancer was a real show or not, or if FBI was a real show or not. I have no idea. You yeah, know? but you can tell me that like these kids showing up at the end of the movie after like purposefully being shown to be like not up to nefarious things is like kind of a random twist out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like there's no like they've got the one big scene at the ranch where he goes out of his way to be like nothing's going on here, right? To showing up to random people's house to murder them because they're pigs who have poisoned the population with the idea of like violence and all this other stuff. Yeah. I mean, part of it is the fact that like, I don't know, again, I think I, I just have to fall back to, you know, the, the idea that what somebody does or doesn't know or evaluating the Manson family in this film. I don't know if that's the right like critique because they were real because that information is readily available. Sure. And because the, the person who watches something and goes, why did they deserve that? And then goes and reads about it is going to be like, Oh, that's why like they were, Again, not just like, oh, we, we even killed people. Like, sure, they start but a race it's not war. cathartic for me in any way to watch people get, like, murdered. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, but, I mean, again, like, you don't like violent cinema, which is which is totally fine, right? Like, you didn't watch Green Room, and mm -hmm. which is, like, I completely get. But for somebody who looks to cinema for, like, a violent outlet or sees it as a fun like violence as fun i think that they could get on that wavelength better the fact they weren't on the wavelength the, the thing that that i i also was saying like i didn't want to get it i i realize now looking back i don't mean to sound like dismissive of your take but but the reason why i was like i don't really want to have the discussion because i think then it goes into how you interpret the manson family being used in the plot Mm -hmm. And that to me is like totally subjective. And for me to, to like try to explain exactly how and why I think like, oh, well, you know, think about it in terms of how the violence felt to the hippie community, quote unquote, hippie community that the Mansons were identified as right. Like the, the quote unquote, again, hippie community is not a violent community. They're not known historically as a distinctly violent group of individuals. So the shocking violence of at the end of Once Upon a Time could also reflect the impact of the violence of that, of how it felt in the day, right? Mm -hmm. Like nobody was probably looking at the Mansons living on Spawn Ranch as like a potential threat. I'm sure, again, only guessing, that people knew they were there. That, like, if you talk to local law enforcement, they might be like, oh, yeah, those hippies living on Spawn Ranch or whatever, yeah, mm -hmm. they're, 
we know about them. Right. So then all of a sudden they kill people. And I think everybody was like, what? Like, what, what are you talking about? Which is why, again, it's seen as like the end, the, the, the death of an era. Right. It's, but, but see, then it goes into like stuff that I don't really know about. Like that's a lot of that is my speculation and, you know, can easily get countered by somebody who knows the era better. So mm -hmm. that, that's why I was like, I'm not interested in having that conversation, not because your, your take isn't right, but then it goes into speculation about, you know, what it felt like at the time. It's like, I don't know, mm -hmm. but to me, it could feel that, feel that way. But, but I wasn't, I think we, we were also approaching the film from different angles. Like, again, yeah. I walked out just being like, that was like Quentin Tarantino fetish film, yeah. like front to back. Like you said, minus the N words, but everything else is like pure Quentin Tarantino mind. Um, you know, the era, how it looks, the marquees, like I was reading all the titles of movies that were playing on the marquees. Mm -hmm. Like it felt, it felt almost like Quentin Tarantino playing with dolls and maybe that's what's creepy about it. And it might be a little creepy when you think about it. Like he has his Sharon Tate doll mm -hmm. and like, what does he do with her? You know, he like makes her go watch a film she was in and enjoy mm -hmm. it. And then he makes her like, go do what history says she did. And then he makes her right. Like seeing him as a puppet master or like playing with these toys. If you want to break people down like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could see how people could walk on being like, I just don't like, I, I just don't like the feeling that gave me. Right. Yeah. Um, but it didn't hit me that way. I, I walked away kind of being exhilarated. Um, and kind of moved again, like Sharon Tate gets to greet this fading Western star and Leo DiCaprio, like his first scene in the movie is him crying. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's such a, an indelible uh, performance and depiction of, again, a kind of like fading movie star from an, older era yeah know? see i do i disagree with that too is i don't disagree necessarily but i feel like it i feel like this movie more than any sort of kind of showed me the limits of what tarantino can do because he's obviously a really great filmmaker like visually i feel like composition wise um just like idea wise but when it came to like when he when like you could tell he was reaching for like deeper stuff when like um whatever DiCaprio's character's name is he's like struggling with like middle age sort of being on the decline of his career you could tell that he was kind of I feel like pulling for like deeper stuff but it never really worked for me um it just doesn't it's kind of the same thing with the like what if question is like it raises the question it kind of like acknowledges the question but it doesn't ever provide any answers or like go any deeper than that which is fine for this movie but i think for me that might be like a limitation of what tarantino can do like to me i didn't get anything like substantive from that 
idea or like and it, like what Tarantino may think about it, feel about it, or even that character. It just kind of is brought up. It's used for laughs a couple times effectively. And that's kind of that. You know what I mean? Like I didn't get any sort of broader meaning from it. And, and like for the whole film? Yeah. I mean, like that's obviously his arc. That's what his entire thing is about. There's a couple moments, I think, where he's like, uh, where he's like sitting with a little girl mm-hmm. and she's like reading something mm-hmm. and he brings that up. Her lines. yeah. Her lines. Yeah. And he's reading like an old cowboy book or whatever. And, but he starts talking about like, it's when it's when he's, when he starts breaking down and crying. Yeah. And it's a really great scene, but it's, you know, like I said, it's played for laughs. It's really funny, but I didn't get anything like beyond that. That was, and that was the scene that the guy next to me, could not stop himself from laughing during. He literally buried his uh, face in his shirt. Uh, he sounds adorable. Yeah, he was great. Uh, um, th- okay, so, you know, this is just, again, my take, but I do kind of see maybe Tarantino putting himself in Leo Leonardo DiCaprio's shoes. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of you know, him saying or feeling, because he said since forever, I don't know, 10 films and done. Right. Um, and this and is the ninth. This is the ninth. And so, you know, it, it maybe has a little bit of a feeling of like all these younger filmmakers who are like, I'm like lean. I've been like raised on access to more films than anyone previously in history could access. Mm. I am like hyper film literate. I'm driven. I'm like a a machine for making movies. Um, And that is like the up and coming class. And he is like the, like the loose shoot from the hip, you know, once the protege and now like the fading talent who's like, getting ready to hang it up, you know? Mm. And and that could be the way that he views, you know, the the next crop of filmmakers coming up. And it that that take is totally filtered through what I've been watching since Once a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So um Indy is back and we've been watching having movie night pretty regularly. And he was finally ready to watch Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. And he also has been wanting to do a rewatch of Star Wars. And then we also fit Hook in mm-hmm. at some point. And in watching the early Indiana Jones films and definitely the Star Wars, I got this feeling that like even Spielberg, well, anybody I feel like could get away with so much more back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. It's like the history of film went back to like, you know, when my parents were my age and they just went to go see Humphrey Bogart be Humphrey Bogart. You know, I don't know that many people are going to cinema for like an actual or historic like representation of how things really were like they were they're there to escape the heat and like have some B movie fun or to go see one specific star yeah um 
Then you have Spielberg who gets to like make Indiana Jones and just kind of call back to the 50s stuff, you know? Just make it exciting. It's in color now. We can kind of have a few better effects. Uh, and uh, he can get away with a lot more. But I mean, I remember loving Indiana Jones. And also, I remember everybody loving Indiana Jones. Like, even my parents, mm -hmm. adults. I, I, I'm pretty sure everybody loved Indiana Jones when it first came out. When you watch it now, there's no way the logic of that film would get by anybody now <laughs> like it would be a, a purely kids film mm -hmm. right it would be like national treasure that's a, that's exactly what it would be yeah where it's like oh yeah that it's it's fun but yeah if you're over 12 you're looking for something more substantive but indiana jones like works i think it's it's again it's because like back then people were just pulling off of like oh when i was a kid humphrey bogart like went into the desert to try and find some treasure and they had a little you know like I'm referencing uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, right? Mm -hmm. You watch that, that's an epic film, right? Mm -hmm. But it still is like done in that style. You have to kind of excuse a few things. Then Indiana Jones comes by. Nowadays though, we're like, you can't just have Indiana Jones show up in Vienna, look at a mural and be like, oh, the Roman numerals line up. Mm -hmm. Oh, X is on the floor. I found the tomb. Mm -hmm. Like he lands and within five <laughs> minutes solves like the central mystery uh -huh. that his dad and other people have been working towards for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it is just a match. It's just <laughs> looking being like, oh, there's the three, there's the five, where's mm -hmm. the 10? Oh, I'm standing on it, right? And like, I remember as a kid being like, oh, that's amazing. And, and you know, everybody, like, again, I, I'm, I might be reading into it, but I think everyone was like, oh, that was great. And now you wouldn't, you wouldn't even let, James Bond currently do something mm. like that. You'd be like, this is stupid. Um, all of that to say, maybe you should cut all that out, <laughs> but all that to say that I feel like that is this, you know, new era of filmmaker coming up who is approaching things from a new lens. And part of that lens is just, it needs to be more, like directed mm. in terms of what they're trying to do in terms of how they're going to accomplish it. Like the little girls, like an actor's job is all about efficiency. Right. And I feel like that is kind of the nature of today. It's not, there's not, it, you know, I read every week how hard it is to make a movie, how hard it is to get funding. And in order to get funding now, you have to be doing something new. And in order for audiences to see it, you have to be doing something again that is like has a clear goal in mind. You, you, I get the feeling like you can't just roll out of bed again and make an old Star Wars or make an old Indiana Jones. Like mm -hmm. people aren't going to go for it, and people didn't when they made Star Wars episodes one, two, and three, and everybody like rioted because again, it 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 was. 20 years plus since they made the first ones. And I think people were looking for different things. But when you look at the logic of the films of episodes one, two, and three, and four, five, and six, they're pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's not like three, four, and five represent a greater reality. They are, again, what we would look to now and be like, oh, those are kids' films, like one, two, and three. Right. 
And now audiences are demanding like, no, we can't have that. So what do you get? You get the new crop of Star Wars, which are like actually trying to be legitimate films and actually try and like give you some escapism, but also try and hold to a reality mm-hmm. of like, you know, the last, all the, all the tension in the last Star Wars films was like in space, you have to, you can overshoot your target so you cannot <laughs> increase your speed. Like you right. have to maintain yeah. this same speed. Like it's, it's like trying, it's taking like a real scientific principle and then building the narrative out of that. And everyone freaks out. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, well that's, that's a real film. Actually. That's like a real idea. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other ones have carbonite <laughs> that you can get frozen into and then unfrozen and just be totally fine. Right shooting a missile into a vent or something. Oh, twice. (laughs) Yeah. Like you just got this little, it's like, I get it, you know? Uh, but, but yeah, it's like now, you know, the new crop of filmmakers are like, give me escapism. Also, you can't just jump around planet to planet that time travel or that time doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Like what people are saying with like game of Thrones, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, how could he get from Westeros over to, uh, you know, across the, the, the season, who cares, right. who cares, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's, I think that it's also speaking to some of that. I don't know. Again, this is why, like, I didn't, I, you gotta speculate and I'll ramble. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, ultimately I would say, I'll say this simultaneously, the best and worst movie going experience I ever had. Mm best because the audience was great laughing along the whole time guy next to me was loving it so much that after it was over he turned to me and was like that was amazing right and i was like yeah like it made me like the movie more that guy's enthusiasm for it worst when, because when your movie, wife said you wanted to have a divorce <laughs> when the, the movie <laughs> was over people some people it wasn't like a standing ovation, but like some people were like clapping, like as soon as it was over, you could mm-hmm. tell people were like really jazzed and just like into it. Right. So that was a really great experience. Worst because the people in front of us were vaping. Oh, that that's crazy to me. Yeah. And the theater itself was at least 85 degrees. Oh, I can't stand at least. Theaters. And Julie even went out to like tell somebody like, Hey, turn the AC on in this theater. It didn't make it anywhere. I, I was, had literal sweat stains on my clothes when I walked out. I sweat very easily, yeah, but it was so hot. In Where'd you theater. go? We went to AMC. Mm. Yeah. Um, and ultimately I liked the movie a lot. It has kind of like the, um, that got, um, Goodfellas casino structure where it's like, it's like a, almost a three hour movie, mm-hmm. long movie. And you've got like two hours of this just sort of like build up. It's not really going anywhere. It's just kind of like, this is the, it's like a two hour, like prologue almost. And then you've got a short 30 to 40 minutes of like action where like everything comes to a head. I like that. I like that structure. Um, but like I said, there was just something about the, maybe the Manson aspect of it. I don't know. I'm like I said, I'm not really insightful enough to explain why, but there was something about it afterwards. You know, once that reveal sort of played itself out, that made me feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I can. Um, and I haven't looked into like 
if other people are saying the same thing. So I couldn't really tell you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I can totally see that. And, and again, it's totally valid. Um, I think for me, I, I kind of went in not knowing what to expect. I definitely didn't know the twist that was going to come. And I found the tension of the twist to be really interesting because I felt like I was like, Oh, Tarantino, like, he could slaughter everybody right. like that. That could be the twist. And maybe that's another thing that made the twist work so well for me is because it does, it feels like sweet. Like it mm-hmm. felt genuinely, even in all the violence, uh, it, it just felt, um, I think I heard somebody use the term like wistful. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. You know, it just felt wistful. And so I, I will agree um, you know, from the opening scene where Leo's crying in his car about his future to his being on the set of Lancer mm-hmm. to, uh, Brad Pitt going to spawn ranch in that whole sequence. Like, again, I think this film is only like seven distinct events mm-hmm. that really matter, you know? Sharon Tate going to see her movie. Like all of those were kind of like just another high on top of a, a high in terms of whether it was funny or um, bizarre, you mm-hmm. know, or just the way that he makes things look cool. Yeah. You know? Sure. Um, it was great to just see him flexing his muscles in all of those. And then you get to the twist and the twist works for me because again, I'm thinking of it as like, Oh, this is, totally him reflecting on the things that made him who he is cinematically. And then going back to a very like important time in cinema's life and his life, and then rewriting it, Mm -hmm. giving himself the fairy tale that he would want to from that era. And it includes the Manson family and all that. That's why they're in there. And so it, it all works for me. And yeah, I left just like, you know, to have, you know, as a filmmaker, to be able to give somebody, you know, give people a very specific experience that reveals yourself while also making it like enjoyable mm-hmm. is a true talent. Like that's, that's amazing. Sure. Did um, you think it was a twist? Did you not know what was going to happen? I knew there was violence. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely knew like when Kurt Russell starts an area, I was like, okay, now here we're doing like the, here's we're historically setting up, but I knew it wasn't going to play out the way that it did mm-hmm. historically. I just, I just didn't know if the body count would be higher mm-hmm. or if it would be lower. Right. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was the twist that I knew was coming, but I'm, I'm really happy. I, I might have felt more the way you did if Cliff and, if everyone got killed. Um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really see it coming either, but I wasn't totally looking for it. Like I said with the with our whole with our audience being so such a great audience, I thought he handled that the tension of that build up really well. And once it started playing out and you realize sort of what was going to happen, I felt like the relief of that pressure in the theater where people yeah. were like holding their breath for a long time. 
And then once that action starts to play out, you realize people were like relieved oh. that <laughs> these people weren't going to get killed. Basically. Yeah. yeah. But you're right. You're going to see some underage girls get ripped to shreds. Yeah. Um, and burnt. Yeah. And I, the other two takeaways I had from the movies, I came away again with this vague feeling that Quentin Tarantino has some serious women issues. I don't know exactly what they are, but I feel like he has a very complicated relationship with women. Um, and also I'm half feeling half prediction that and maybe i guess it's already over within the press cycle of this movie if he hasn't done so already he will say something that vaguely align, uh, aligns him with the alt-right <laughs> <laughs> something possibly like anti-pc something like along those lines it'll be like oh did you hear what quentin tarantino said not good <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i think he i think he made it through okay he made it through. I think good for him. Yeah, I mean, I I see what you're saying. I I think that you know, I've heard some people claim that this film is conservative. Mm -hmm. I think that's a total wrong reading. I think that's a wrong reading of Tarantino. I think again, I think this is like a trip inside his mind, mm -hmm. and specifically his views on cinema. So I, I don't take a lot outside of that other than like what the error was saying what his what his knowledge of each of these people are is mm -hmm. that 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 is what is motivating this stuff i don't know that he is sitting there and saying like and this is how it's like 2019 you know or concerned with doing any of that i think he's just trying to say like here's my love letter for the era plain plain and simple and that that's it you know mm -hmm. um so yeah i'm i don't know that so that's why i can vaguely agree with you he does he have problems with women uh, probably i don't know right. you know uh and uh and is he vaguely like problematic I haven't talked to the guy and or <laughs> you haven't really listened to a lot of his stuff but probably yeah but having said all that I don't I don't see any of that reflected in this movie no I don't either yeah it just was a weird feeling I had <laughs> who else is on your weird feelings list uh, you'll have to ask me as the as a comes, as I it's guess. revealed <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh what about this um what about this Moscow Mitch guy? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's your doesn't what's your seem, take on doesn't him? Doesn't seem very good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. Once upon a time in Hollywood, another disagreement. Um, you know what I was thinking about too? Thinking about like how people do like their ranking lists. And I feel like the traditional way of doing it would be like, all right, here's my number one or here's my number 10, right? And then you work your way up or down from there. That's if, how numbers work. I feel right? like the way you should be doing it is like if we were to take Quentin Tarantino's filmography and you say, let's rank Tarantino's movies from best to worst, right? I feel like you should start at Reservoir Dogs, right? Mm -hmm. You don't 
necessarily give it a number. It's just there, right? It's just on the list because it has to be. And then you take what is his next movie, Pulp Fiction. So you say, is Pulp Fiction better or worse than Reservoir Dogs? It's better, right? So it goes above Reservoir Dogs. And then what's the next movie? Jackie Brown, right? Is Jackie Brown better or worse than Reservoir Dogs? It's better, right? Is it better or worse than Pulp Fiction? Worse, right? So it's so now our list so far is Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction, right? And then the next movie was what? Kill Bill? No. Um, what does he do? He does... After Pulp Fiction. After Jackie Brown? Or after Jackie Brown. Um, after Jackie... It's Kill Bill. Is it Kill Bill? It is. Yeah. You're right. So is Kill Bill better than Reservoir Dogs? Yes. Is it better than Jackie Brown? Yes. Is it better than Pulp Fiction? Are we... Yes. Okay. I say one and two. You count the whole thing. So now it's Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, right? And you just build it that way. Yeah, that that that's probably the best way to build a list. I'm I'm a big list guy, but and I will say that I I there are some pet peeves with lists. I think I get it. One thing that bothers me is like when people say. My list, the way that I, I wrote my list is to boost films. Like it's like year end of the list. It's like sure. I, I created this to boost films that need the boost. It's like then why are you making a list? Why are you yeah. calling it the best like right. just, just be like, like you should see these movies. You should see these movies, yeah. you know? Like don't put it on a year end or you just like underappreciated movies of the year, right? That always gets me like here's the underlooked whatever. The under these are the albums that we didn't really talk about that were great. The other thing that kills me is, and maybe if, if this is my profession, I would get it, but at the end of the year, you just endlessly hear people who are like, oh, it's that time. I got to put together my top 10. Ugh. And the whole reason why they do it is because they perform better than any other right, exactly. like article <laughs> that you put the out most there. Traffic, it's yeah. what gets you the most traffic, which is why every site does it and why every site requires their their writers to do it. Yeah. So maybe embrace it and then just give me another list. Yeah. Give me 10 lists. Give me my top 10 of the year, top 10 underappreciated, top 10 overlooked, top 10 uh overpraised mm -hmm. you know like i'll read them all yeah i like a list yeah and guess what that's like human psychology so just make more lists don't don't try and say like okay this top 10 now let me tell you i wanted to try and include a foreign film and one from my underappreciate it's like then it's mm -hmm. not your top 10 just right. make a list for all those things you want to fit in yeah no one's stopping you that's the other thing that like kind of drives me crazy like again i don't know how it works but if you're driving traffic Seems like the site is going to host it. So just be like, right, yeah. Hey, here's three lists I made for this year. <laughs> I just don't see a website being like, yeah, you think we got space for these three lists? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? More there's lists. Be like, no, thank you. Yeah. I think they're just going to be like, yeah, we'll throw more ads on those. Yeah. Put it up there. Right. I, I don't know. What do I know? But, you know, hey, you're, you're making, you're seeing films all year and you're on Letterboxd or you're having to make a rank anyway. Right. Release them all at the end of the year. Yeah. So when you start your end of the year list on Letterboxd, I expect it's you. It's ongoing. I expect you to start with the first film you saw this year, and you put that at position two hundred eighty six, 
and then you go to the next one and is it better than the you first hit, one <laughs> you hit on something though like my list is ongoing mm-hmm. so number one i don't do a top 10 i just do every film i saw that year right and i rank it but my ranking is also very subjective but i do look at one film below it oh really and i go is it better than this film right yes is it better than this film no that's where it gets slotted yeah right but because sometimes it can be weeks before i see a movie or whatever else or weeks to log it then i jump in and i'm just like is it better than this one yeah but i don't actually like i have not done that to all the films mm-hmm. so then they like towards the end of the year i will have it's funny because it moves in patches my top 10 is pretty secure because i'm always re-looking at that right mm-hmm. 20 to like 30 is usually i'm like oh yeah those films came out then my 31 to 40 normally are like better than the than the 10 previous like those are usually ones i saw early in the year yeah. and loaded and have sat there the longest and are actually films that like need to be significantly higher yeah, yeah, yeah. i just don't you know right. what i mean it's recency bias it's, it's recency bias um can we do our tarantino list you know i got it so far we have reservoir dogs oh we're doing our collective no we'll just compare reservoir dogs jackie brown pulp fiction kill bill do you agree with that so far uh let me pull up my list okay what was after kill bill Inglorious Bastards or Well, so I mean Death Proof came in. Oh right, Death Proof. Okay, is Death Proof better than Reservoir Dogs? No. I'm gonna say yes. When was the last time you saw Reservoir Dogs? Uh, it's been a while. I like Death Proof though. I, I like it too, but I like Reservoir Dogs. I, it's not Hill to Die on. Go where are we placing it? You place it I'm th- these are our separate lists we're discussing. So I, so, okay. So I have Reservoir Dogs. I'm going to have to write this down. I'm already confused. <laughs> uh, do you want me to, I'll, I'll start by yeah, reading. let's hear your list. Let's hear it. The, so bottom. And again, I like it. Bottom to top. Bottom is death proof. Okay. Reservoir Dogs. All right. Django. Wow. Okay. Hateful Eight. Okay. Once upon a time. All right. Inglorious. Uh-huh. Jackie Brown. Okay. Kill Bills. All right. Pulp Fiction. So Pulp Fiction is your number one? Pulp Fiction is my number one. Here's the here's the problem. Pulp Fiction is not the best movie. <laughs> The problem that is looks like the problem to me. Kill You're Bill wrong. is in You're wrong. The problem is You're wrong. You're wrong. wrong. Kill Bill is in volumes, two volumes. You put them together. Yeah. If I put it together, Kill Bill volume Kill Bills beats out Pulp Fiction. Okay, you put them together. They're still supposed to be the same thing. Um so yeah, I'll put so then you have it split up as which Kill Bill is better than Pulp Fiction and which Kill Bill is worse than Pulp Fiction. The first Kill Bill, if we're splitting them up, is the best one. That that I I agree with that. But okay, so right now I'm just updating it. 
Yeah, I'll put I'll put Kill Bill, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Inglorious, Once Upon a Time, Hateful. Oh, why is Jackie Brown so high? I mean, it's a good movie, but I've I went back and watched it again most recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it a few times now, and it just like as a as a Quentin Tarantino like surprise, mm-hmm. and it's his sweetest film since Once Upon a Time. And I, I like it. I like I like the break from his normal. Mm-hmm. It's like to me, Jackie Brown gets the a twenty fifth hour bump. It's like Jackie Brown, if I'm remembering correctly, wasn't his script. I don't know. I think it's the first time I don't that think he it's worked his character off of. Wrong. Oh, so, yeah, Elmer Leonard. So, oh yeah, and Tarantino's credit on it. But yeah, I guess maybe it's his. It's the character, right? It's not mm-hmm. his character. So, yeah. the the compromise I feel like he was forced to make on that is shows in the end product, and it makes it so much more exciting and unexpected. Mm-hmm. And then watching again. It, it's like it's hilarious i i just have a lot of affection for it uh-huh. and it's just like 25th hour like spike lee that's not his script right but he killed it and it's i think it's his best movie mm-hmm. oh what it's not better than do the right thing you're crazy do the right thing 25th hour is a very good movie but it is, there is no way it's better than do the right thing do the right thing. Let's see. I'm not going to let myself. Oh, so now I want to hear your list. Okay. Now that you made fun of mine. All right. So far, I've got Reservoir Dogs, Death Proof, okay. Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill. I got four left. What comes after Kill Bill? So. Inglorious Bastards? Inglorious. All right. Inglorious Bastards. It's better than Reservoir Dogs. It's better than Death Proof. It's better than Jackie Brown. It's not better than Pulp Fiction. So I've got Reservoir Dogs, Death Proof, Jackie Brown, and Glorious Bastards, Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill. And then what comes after Inglorious Bastards? Um, Django. Django. Better than Reservoir Dogs, better than Death Proof, better than Jackie Brown, better than Inglorious Bastards. Better. Better better than Pulp Fiction. Better than... (laughs) So Kill Bill. So Kill Bill, Django... Pulp Fiction, the rest of them, Inglorious Bastards, wow. Jackie Brown, Death Proof, Reservoir Dogs. This is why I like lists. What comes after Kill Bill? Or Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Kill Bill, Hateful Eight, Django, Pulp Fiction, the rest. And then we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Kill Bill, Hateful Eight, Django, Pulp Fiction, and Glorious Bastards. Jackie Brown. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh. Jackie Brown. Death Proof. Reservoir Dogs. And that's it. That's it. Now, that is definitely I like that list. recency bias because I haven't watched a lot of those movies for since they've been out. We I, need another like watching the director's podcast. Yeah. And just be like, is that what it was called? The guy and the wife and his wife who were like, we just were taking this director and we're watching all of all their movies. movies. 
I, you know, let's, let's pick somebody. I'm, I'm totally down for that. Here's the, I like that list. Um, yeah, I watched the hateful eight extended version. That movie's so good, man. It's great. It's so good. Um, all right. Who is from, you know, who's a filmmaker? Maybe I'll have to throw some filmmakers out that you are interested in, but you have not seen a lot of their films. Like, you're you're pretty caught up on the Coen brothers, right? Yeah, I've seen probably half their movies. See, yeah, you, okay. You and know I've what? fallen asleep during the other. <laughs> um, oh, we started watching Mindhunter. That first oh, episode yeah. is so bad. The acting in that is so, so, so bad that I had to like double check to make sure that this was directed by <laughs> David Fincher and to try and then figure out what he was, what he thought he was accomplishing by having such bad acting. I'm going to just out of interest. I'm just going to throw out some names. Okay. I just want to hear your, hear your hot take. All right. Uh, Clint Eastwood. No, come on. No, no, no. But I mean, how many of his films have you seen? Uh, Grand Torino. So Unforgiven. Nope. A Perfect World with Kevin Costner. Oh, I, I saw A Perfect World when I was a kid, and I liked it, but I think I liked it because I thought, like, oh, I'm watching a grown-up movie. Uh, you know what I mean? Steven Soderbergh. Mm, he's got too many movies. But, but have you seen... Do you watch uh, a Steven yeah, Soderbergh movie? I've seen, like, movie? The Limey, right? That's his movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, I saw that. The Limey. <laughs> <laughs> And I saw the movie about the woman who takes somebody's baby. And it was like filmed on something special or whatever. Those are the two Steven Soderbergh movies I've seen. I don't even know what you're talking about. But okay. <laughs> They're like factory workers and it's based off bubble. The s- yes, bubble. <laughs> bubble and <laughs> oh, the limey. That is good. Um, <clears throat> Spike Lee. No. I mean, there's a couple. I, I like, you know what? I wouldn't even say that 25th Hour is better than Clockers. How about that? I, I love Do the Right Thing. I like Clockers. I liked 25th Hour a lot, but you know what? I think if, when's the last time you've seen it? <clears throat> 25th Hour? Yeah. I mean, it's been a while, but yeah. I remember. I think if it's, Don't, I think if it's something me. you go back and watch you're, now, it would be a little cringy. You're I bet. just trying to hurt me. I bet it would be a little like. Now that everyone is woke, you know, and everyone is like, oh, on that level, I bet you go back and watch 25th Hour now, and you're like, oh, okay, this is a little too, a little too on the nose. Wes Anderson. Uh, we've seen all of Wes Anderson. You've movies. seen all... How many films off the top of your head has he done? World, uh, Bottle Rocket, Royal Tenenbaums, or Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, Life Aquatic. He's going to do it. Moonlight Kingdom or Darjeeling Limited Moonlight Kingdom Moonrise Moonrise Kingdom and then Darjeeling Limited uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs did the girls like Fantastic oh they love Fantastic Mr. Fox yeah, yeah. Indy does too uh, no I just thought this was interesting nine nine as well part of the nine film club him and Quentin Tarantino ooh Adam McKay Oh, come on. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, I've seen most of his movies. Um, he might be an interesting... Sure. 
Yeah, that might be a good one. That'd be a good one to start with. Uh, Del Toro. No, I'm not not a fan. Not a fan of at all. I like Blade too. Oliver Stone. <laughs> no, Oliver Stone sucks. Uh, Robert Zemeckis. Noah Baumbach. No. Mm-mm. There's a guy I've seen all of his films. All of his films. And you don't like any of them? No, well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. But it he he has a film coming out this year that apparently is very good. Mm-hmm. All he, of his movies are very apparently very good. Though. Well, yeah, but he's the type of guy, like he's the classic guy where I feel like, uh, what was it? Was it, uh, I forget what movie, but I feel like if you were in a classroom and you walked by Noah Baumbach's desk, mm-hmm. you'd be like, Hey, Noah, you want another color of crayon there, buddy? To draw with? That's <laughs> any other color is yeah, good. Yeah. Just, you know, that same color for everything is uh, Denis Villeneuve. I don't think he has enough movies. And we've seen all of them. I think Six. we've talked about at least half of Oh, That's true. Well, we talked about Enemy. We talked about Prisoners, right? Mm-hmm. We've talked about Blade Runner. What else is there? Arrival. We've talked about Arrival. Sicario. Okay. On Sunday. I don't know what that is. Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, that might be all right. Have you seen all of his stuff? No. I saw Pie, Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, Black Swan. That's it. He has a really funny interview mm-hmm. where he talks about working with Mickey Rourke. Mm-hmm. Oh, The Wrestler. Yeah. The Wrestler. And I, I'm i going to butcher it, but it was something where in order to get Mickey Rourke to like do anything, he'd have to be like... Mickey, everybody hates you. Your career is <laughs> over. No one thinks you can do this. No one wanted to fund this movie when they found out you were in it. You're you're washed up, and mm-hmm. and this is going to confirm it. And then he would get like one scene out of Mickey Vork, right. and then he'd like start back to his, and then he'd have to do it all again when Mickey would That's roll great. out on the, on the set and be like, "What are we doing?" You know. Right. <laughs> um. Mickey Rourke is one of those celebrities where you're like, is he dead? I think he's dead, but he's. I think he's, he's still, still alive. alive. Yeah. He's still going. Terrence Malick? Yeah, I can't. You can't. I can't. Uh, what have you he, seen he's from just, he, Yeah, he's just... He's, it's, it's, it's but you've just, seen his old stuff, right? You've seen... You love Badlands. Badlands is great. Badlands is a problematic classic. Days of Heaven is What's great. Problematic about Badlands because it's just like the glorifying of like that those guy that guy who's like a he's a pedophile Stark basically. Weather. What's Starkweather? That's the real life serial killer. Oh, okay. uh, he was based off of. Yeah, he's a pedophile. It's, yeah, it's not a. It's and not even a glorification. In the movie. Yeah. Okay, but still, I mean, it is though. It's not. It is because he's like. I mean, on some levels, it is. Um. Days of Heaven is good. A little boring, but it's good. Thin Red Line is good. The Amazing. dinosaur movie, what Tree of <laughs> Life, is the one after that, right? Yeah, I'd have to watch it again. But Cri- Criterion has that's a where uh, I stopped fifty percent off sale right now mm. on all their movies. Tree of Life is there. It's gonna have to be a uh, like a negative one hundred and fifty percent off. You're gonna have to pay me to watch it. 
Ang- what I like about that is like, Ang- what, if, no way. what if it was negative 101% and it, they just weren't giving you enough? <laughs> right. Listen, we'll give you money to watch us. How much? 1% of the retail value. No. <laughs> Make it 50. Yeah. Uh, oh, Angley is an absolute a- no. Angley stinks. Wait. Angley stinks. Angley is a bad movie maker that has, he's somehow like, He's like one of those musical artists that's like popular, like legit. Like he's like the fact that you're calling him a movie maker tells me that you're not old enough to do. A he's of kind of like uh, he's kind of like he's like a he's like he's like uh, I don't know. He's like one of those music artists, one of those bands that's like super popular somehow, but like nobody, you know, actually listens to them. You know what I mean? I just don't know what movie got you so worked up. He sucks. What he made the Hulk movie, the Hulk. which is bad. He made. Uh, didn't he make the like, the like military? This guy walks alone. Something. Oh, what it's called? Billy Lynn's yes, long which halftime looks walk. Bad. Everything else he's done looks bad. <laughs> he made. Did he make In the Mood for Love? Who was that? No, that's Wong Kar Wai. <laughs> Wong Kar Wai. What did Ang Lee make that you like? Didn't he make a movie with uh, Dimitri Martin? Yes. Ang Lee oh, the sucks. Suck. Ang Lee sucks. He made Crouching Tiger. He made Dragon. Mission Impossible 2? No, that's um, John Woo. <laughs> Jeez. Um, that will be edited out. I'm taking, I'm editing out my Asian <laughs> bias. Then you can here. take out my ramble too. Uh, Crouching Tiger, Sense and Sensibility, Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, you haven't named one good movie yet. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is yeah, not I've a good movie. Seen, I've never seen it, but I don't. Th- I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's not good. Terry Gilliam. Nope. Talk about a high and low guy. Yeah, he's yeah he's when he's, he strikes he's out too bipolar for me. Oh god! And even then, like you look at like Twelve Monkeys, which again I think was probably like at one point in our history, I think Twelve Monkeys would be considered a good movie. Still good. No, no, no. You watch that movie now. Hashtag it is bad. Still good. You watch it now. It's bad. No. Uh, Roman Polanski. Yeah. Again, <laughs> that's another thing. Like Roman Polanski. Guy's a pedophile. Like obviously, like the stuff in the movie takes place before all of that, and like I'm, I'm very um, susceptible to like the argue, to like the idea of like, like maybe like this guy, like, like I'm not trying to like give sympathy for the guy, but like yeah, he had like a really crazy rough life. Like you look at this like terrible things that happened to his life, but at the same time, like can't excuse. You can't. Yeah, you can't really excuse that now. Uh, Sam Raimi. Uh yeah, I like Sam Raimi. Um, again, like Dark Man. I haven't seen Dark Man. Drag Me to Hell, Evil Dead. Drag Me to Hell is really good. Drag Me to Hell, Christopher Nolan. Sure, your, I'd love to do a Christopher Nolan. Your nemesis. If you want to hear me shit on all of Christopher Nolan's movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, Edgar Wright. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like all his movies for the most part. Well, I haven't seen the third one of that trilogy oh you didn't see the world the or whatever yeah uh jeff nichols take shelter which you talked about mud oh no i haven't seen that midnight special he makes good stuff i saw mud bong june ho elise and i watched snowpiercer again the other night oh yeah i was because that show is coming out sometime which show 
The Snowpiercer show. Oh, yeah. Bong Joon-ho has another movie coming out called Parasite, which looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I watched Memories of Murder with you. Mm-hmm. Memories you of Murder is great. It's yeah. so good, it's, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, the host. The host sucks. The host sucks. The host does suck, yes. Did it restart? It did restart. <laughs> I mean, it's so just... So now you have, two, you have two files? Right, yes, I have two files again. I saw your, your eyes. I held the button down. <laughs> it, in the manual, it says you hold it down and it pauses, but it didn't. It just stopped. Um, okay, so you don't like the host? No. Maybe I'd have to watch again. I did not like you it. You saw Snowpiercer. I like Snowpiercer. And did you see his movie Mother? No. Uh, and Okja? No. Okay. He's in the running. Okay. Because I feel like their thing is we have to do something that's doable. Who is the guy that did um, the movie that uh, Spike Lee remade? Oh, uh, Old Boy. Old Boy. Uh, Park Chan Wook. He's like really up and down too, right? Uh, no, he did. He, I like almost all of his stuff. Uh-huh. There's one that I hate that you and I watched. Uh-huh. Thirst. I oh, I it. freaking hated <laughs> thirst so much. And I wonder if it's me now. Cause I like everything else he's done. Hmm. Uh, James Cameron, Ridley Scott, Scorsese. It's Scorsese. He's got too many movies. And can you, like, can you really imagine sitting down to watch Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, ooh, William Friedkin. David Lynch. No. Mm-mm. Foot down on David Lynch. Yeah, right? it's just not my thing. Um, I tried to do a watch of all De Palma's stuff. Brian De Palma sucks. He's got some good stuff. Didn't he do, or is that Joel Schumacher? He did like a army movie with um, Colin Farrell, Tiger or something. Tigerland, yeah. That yeah, Tigerland. I thought that movie was good. Yeah, yeah, Schumacher sucks. Yeah. Francis Ford Coppola. I don't think I've seen most of his movies. Really? I saw um, Apocalypse Now, but I haven't seen any of the Godfathers. Oh, you haven't seen um, The Conversation? Nope. The thing is with him, there are some real bad ones. (laughs) Uh, You know, Sofia Coppola. I mean, this does kind of show also the uh you know kind of misogyny of the industry where you think about you know people who made multiple films as like filmmakers mm-hmm. like director like female directors who have a bunch to go back to Nicole Holof Center I think I like all of her stuff um have, you haven't seen any of like yeah you're not oh Peter Weir there's a director I'm thinking of Peter Berg. <laughs> um, Dead Poet Society. Nope. Um, Master Commander. 
No, 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 Fearless, no, 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 Witness, no, 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 no. He's boring. Truman Show. Those movies are boring. They are not. Truman they are bedrocks. The rest of those movies are boring. No. Master and Commander is primo put me to sleep. You're insane. <laughs> um, this just reminds me of one of our first podcasts we ever did. Laying on the floor of... Oh, Smyrna. The old of Smyrna, uh-huh. um, getting into an argument about Spike Jones and where the where wild things, things are. are, which I really like. Yeah, that movie's not good either. I wonder if you see it now with like kids. If he'll maybe Alfred Hitchcock. I've been trying to get into Tim Burton again. Alfred, okay, Tim Burton sucks. Alfred Hitchcock, too many movies. I had to. Break those up. Tim Burton sucks. Okay. Alfred Hitchcock, too many movies. So we came down to <clears throat> Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, Bong Joon-ho. But here's the thing. This is what I'm saying. You have to be able to watch the Sam movies Raimi. within like a, a week-long basis, right? I feel like... like you cram it all into a week. Yeah, I can't I feel like I can't properly evaluate evaluate all of them together if there's like a month. Well, I, mean, I guess a month isn't bad, but like half a year in between watching the movies. You know what I mean? If you truly want to be able to rank them, this is what I enjoyed from least to most or whatever. You have to have like has to be have to be viewed in like a condensed period. Yeah. Um so, I mean, here's the thing, right? So, I feel like Bong Joon-ho has to be it. Okay. Um, because he doesn't have many films. Okay. And, you know, we could... You could do that. Um, well, yeah, and I guess, I mean, do you... Do you like, is this just something to do? Sure. Or is this like... an? Like, do you have any interest at all? Like, you know, well, like, I mean, oh, how hey, easy is it going to be watched Bong Joon-ho's movies? Fairly. Like, Snowpiercer is on Netflix. Memories of Murder just came on Netflix. Like, okay. between Netflix, like, well, now he, Netflix made Okja. And so I think they got. Oh, a- is that the movie The Pig? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the, the other thing that I was thinking is, like, you know, this could be a, a good time to, like, you know, I am thinking about like Nicole Holof Center, like just really great adult drama mm-hmm. films. Like that's something that I think Julia would actually be into. Okay. If you wanted to do something like that versus Bong Joon-ho, which, you know, it's foreign. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he's not really violent, but mm-hmm. um, he's he's particular. Yeah. So let's table it. Okay. And maybe over the next week, we'll maybe after we stop recording, we'll hit it and we'll actually decide. And maybe next episode will be a director series on um, on a director. All right. That sounds good. Um, before we go, really the quick. The least racist person that you have ever met. Okay. <laughs> um, my game corner. All right. Hell yeah. So we've played Secret Hitler a few times. Yep. Thoughts? It's great. 
it's a it's a it's a little short. Uh, I don't know if that like improves with the more more of the people you have because for the most part we were playing with the bare minimum amount of people, which is five. Um, it definitely seemed to be better. I liked the game when we had seven. When we had time. more people, right? Uh, but I thought it was a lot of fun. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it, it, it's also a little. Um, it's a little simple. It's a little to where like. Since we played it so many times, you definitely start to see like the inner workings of it, and I feel like it could probably get a little predictable. Um, there doesn't really seem to be like as much sort of strategy and sort of like stuff you can bring to it. But yeah, we spent we played it two nights in a row while the extended family was in town, and it was a lot of fun. I liked it a lot. I've got a more complicated version of a social deduction game. <laughs> yeah. If you're interested, uh-huh. that could pitch on. Because I agree. Might be a little simple. We might need to add a few more layers to this sure. thing. <laughs> and I might have an idea or two. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, we did that. We played Flamme Rouge. Yep. I love that game. Yeah, it's still really good. And I love it because I won. Um, yeah, I was going to say, it seems a little... I feel like... Because you, ne- it seemed like you never really had to make any sort of compromises in the cards you were playing. It seems like they need to restrict those cards just a tiny a bit, a little more. So you have to make some hard decisions. Maybe, maybe a little tweak. I'm with you. There was one time at the end because I beat you by one square. Right. Um. There was one, mo- and you would have won the tiebreaker because your second guy was ahead of my guy, right? Right. So. There was one point where I drew three exhaustion cards and one seven. Yeah. And so I just, like, with that being any different, I lose. So there, there's that where I did kind of run out early, and I did have also, like, a perfect in and out of a tough section mm-hmm. on the track that I just kind of, like, again, lucked into by the draw so you know two things fell my way and i won but it's a it's just a fun yeah that is one game where i feel like the expansion would add a lot to it because the expansion um adds like different terrains and stuff like that and it just seems like it would a little more complexity yeah actually like mix it up a lot yeah so i really like that and we played two games of root yeah i think we played two games we just played the one Oh, well, I want to play you had a again. migraine, so it made it seem made it seem like two, but we played the one. Which you and beat. I congratulate, beat you congratulations! <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I still I really love root. Yeah, root is great. Um, I also played today my first game of Spirit Island. Okay. Um, which, yeah, is another example. I was looking at my collection, and I was like. I don't know that I would pay full price for any of the games I have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like board games are expensive. Yeah. And Spirit Island is expensive. Yes, it is. I got it on sale. So right now, I think we're at the sweet spot where all these, like, I saw Root on sale mm-hmm. for like $40 the other yeah. day. I didn't have enough to buy it, but I saw it. 
But this Spirit Island uh, also was on sale for like 40 and then I had a gift card. So I got to use it to bring down even more. Mm-hmm. But when I got the box, like on the back, it's on the box like for $80. And like, I, oh, really? it's not even a sticker. It's like, <laughs> it's printed on, it's there. printed on here. They're like, we aren't doing this it's for like any gospel, less yeah. than $80. And if you give anyone a discount, you've lost money, <laughs> right. not us because yeah. you, you got this for $80, right? So, um, so anyway, I got it, unpacked it. And again, like, I know it's, it's expensive to like, print this stuff, you know, but it's like, yeah, $80 for like these components, like the components are nice, but it's like, God, I just $80, yeah, you know what I mean? It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Um, but I played the game and I can't wait to play with you. I really, I think that you'll like it, but it is my kind of game. Like yeah. it has, it feels root like in the sense that the character you play on the back has ratings for what they do. Mm-hmm. Like this one's good in offense. This one's good on defense. And they all have like complexity ratings, just like root. Um, and the gameplay itself is really varied and interesting. So the game itself is good, but thematically it really holds up. Like, you know, you're basically just repelling invaders. You're like, a spirit of an island and you live well with the locals there, but now you've got these outsiders coming in. And what's interesting is you can play against like a specific enemy that is like colonial Britain, Mm -hmm. colonial France. I think Mm -hmm. like, so it really is kind of like, and I didn't look at, but they do have like scenarios. And I think the scenarios do reflect like history a little bit like they based it tried to base them around like what actually happened mm-hmm. so there, there is also just like that satisfying feeling of just like destroying people who are invading a land <laughs> you know what i mean and just being like <laughs> you know going back it's like a quentin tarantino game yeah get yeah. to go back and rewrite and all these like right. white invaders this are coming is what in. the capitalists want to do yeah and all the pieces are like white they're right. all white pieces uh-huh. um and and it's just like th- thematically it gives you that good feedback. And I realized like I'm not, this game helped me realize like I'm not a gamer where like some people just enjoy breaking out a game and it's more about like, yeah, we turn these cards and we move these pieces and we turn cards and whatever. Mm-hmm. I have to have like a story. Right. Like the the narrative has to be part of the game for me. Mm-hmm. And Spirit Island is like stellar on both. Like it's mm-hmm. it's real good. So um yeah so i played a they have a solo version i played a two-player because co-op and just did it that way Mm -hmm. but then it got like it gets confusing at the end and people say it's it's a hard game it is but it's it's really good okay so you can look forward to that all right next game night probably yeah sounds good oh no pax Pamir. yeah pax Pamir. i've spent i read through the rule book I watched, I watched like a, video. a 30 minute rules explainer. I still have no idea how the I game did is too. I feel like I feel like we need to put that on the calendar because I will watch it again. Like yeah. I will because I feel like that is something that we that we both will need to come to right. with some understanding because it, it does have some depth there. The brothers who designed it, the World Brothers, have a YouTube channel with one video uploaded. 
and it's them playing through the game once. It's an hour long. I haven't brought myself to watch it yet, but I'll watch it. I might just put it on the background and listen to it, but it, at some point I'll watch it. I'll try and send it to you. Yeah. But yeah, I'll watch it. It's, it's, it looks, you know, I mean, a, a lot of thought has been put into it and that's why I wanted to play it. Like it looks very considered. Um, but it also seems very complicated. Yeah. All right. All right. Smell my fart.